Hey, Snappers. I'm super excited. We've got a special treat for you. Now, I met this brother a while ago, and there was something about his voice, the cadence, the power, the self-awareness, the razor-sharp observations. We connected, and he's since become one of Snap's go-to storytellers. He recently started his own podcast. It's called Homemade Stories, and it's fantastic. I was just listening to it with my wife. We were laughing, gasping, shaking our heads, not wanting to leave the kitchen where I was playing it. And I couldn't help but think, Snap Nation will dig this. So, for a very special year-end Snap Judgment, I'm turning over the reins. Snap probably presents Shannon Kaysen's Homemade Stories podcast special. It's called The Struggle is Real. Because the struggle is real. I can't wait for you to hear it. Snap listeners will know that it starts off with a story you may find very familiar from our show, but then it goes places you've never been before. And if you dig it, and I know you will, subscribe to Homemade Stories. Let somebody know. Shannon Kaysen. Take it away. Life. The struggle is real. From birth to hope, hope to mistakes, mistakes to struggle, struggle to struggle and hope. It's a cycle that keeps repeating till one day it ends. Along the way, though, there are some beautiful things you'll find if you pay attention. I'm Shannon Kaysen, and from WBZ Chicago and my home in Detroit, this is a homemade story special. The struggle is real. On my podcast, I'm a real person. I get honest about the good and the bad things I go through because that's what life is. It's good and it's bad. And that's how we actually live, to be honest. It ain't all sweet. And trying to find your way to beauty buried in struggle is sometimes the hard part. And some of us never quite find our way. I have some serious vices. I've dealt with divorce, child visitation, unemployment, and more. But that's life. The struggle is real. Like this first story. It's a seriously honest story from when I was in my 20s in Detroit and made a lot of bad choices. A lot of them. It was an incredibly hard decision to share this story on air. Some of my family and friends don't know this story. One thing that helped was the realization that most of my family and friends don't listen to public radio that much. <laughs> so they still are never know. That did help me make the decision. Well, I hope you enjoy my misery. Nah, I'm kidding. I hope you enjoy the story, though. Go ahead, play the story. I lost 1200 on the blackjack table and overdrew my checking account another 1000 chasing that original 1200 but being that I was chasing, I lost that 1000 fast. The ride home is always the worst, the regret, the names I call myself. Idiot. I lived with my sister at the time, and she could always tell if I lost all my money. I'd come into the house late or early, depending on how you looked at it, and I'd have a depressed look and a bag of ramen noodles to make it through to the next pay. But this time, the next direct deposit would be eaten up by the negative balance in my checking account. I looked at it early. I had to be to work in a few hours. I worked at a bank. A grocery store bank branch, I managed it. I had to be there on time to open the doors for the tellers, get their drawers out of the vault. I put on my suit. I always felt like an ass wearing a suit managing a grocery store bank. It's too much. They need to loosen up the dress code. I love suits, but this ain't Wall Street. It's a grocery store. I never noticed the bank's money. I lose all my money and put 20,000 and 20s in the ATM the next day. No temptation. But that day, I noticed. I noticed the 30,000 and hundreds. The 20,000 and 20s. I noticed how the dual vault control procedure wasn't followed. I noticed the tellers could go days without having to buy money from the vault because we weren't a busy branch. I didn't notice my morals, my sense of right and wrong. I didn't notice the consequences. There was an overwhelming temptation inside of me that was frightening. A voice. You can't lose. From inside my head. If you want just 10% of that amount, that's five grand. Then you can just put it back. 
It's like borrowing. I agree. I took the whole $50,000. I told the tellers I was going to lunch. The money hung heavy in my pockets, even in my belt strap. I felt like a drug runner going through customs. The casino was a 10-minute drive. Motor City Casino. This is in Detroit. The girls there were these tight black leotards. I went out with a few of them. Really nice girls. But when I gambled, I wanted to be anonymous. I didn't want to know the dealers, the waitresses, the Asian guy sitting next to me. I didn't want anyone feeling sorry for me if I lost my money. I hated to leave a table and hear the dealer say, Sorry about that, Shannon. What you sorry for? For what? I'm the one that's sorry. I sat down at the blackjack table and bought in for $10,020. It took a little time to count $10,020s. It brought a small crowd, which I didn't care for, but whatever. I started betting from the 10000 It went up, and it went down. It went up, and it went down. And it went down. And down. And it was gone. The crowd let out a sigh. What y'all sorry about? I set another 10000 on the table. I was chasing. It went fast. I got up, and the crowd showed remorse. That voice in my head. You gotta get away from these losers. Losing can be contagious. I left the table to go to the high roller room. My pants were lighter, but still 30000 heavy, that voice. You just gotta change your strategy. Get your confidence back. Change your game up. Backroom. I set the whole 30 on the table. It took a lot of time to count $30,000, brought out some guys who had to wear suits like me. I win. I win close to the 50000 back. Then I get a call from work. I don't answer it. Then another call. I listen to the voicemail. They wanted me back at work. I'm still short. Just a little bit. I could leave with what I have and deal with the consequences. Or I could go for it. I'm feeling good about this next bet. That voice. Go for it. Go for it. I put up the biggest bet I had played. Close to $20,000. And little orange chips. I don't know why so much. It was just a small stack of chips. It felt good. The dealer deals the car. It's crazy to be looking at thirty, twenty, ten thousand dollars and not caring anymore. Thirty, twenty, thirty, twenty, thirty, twenty, thirty, twenty, thirty, twenty, thirty. I lose it all. I get up from the table and the dealer says, better luck, Shannon. I turned and looked at him, look at the table, but I didn't say anything, nothing. I just walked away. I walked through the lights, the sounds, the people, the smoke, and out the door to fresher air. Feels surreal, like when I went skydiving, like when I got shot at, like I was watching this on TV. I sit quiet in my car. Idiot. I don't go back to work, I mean, why? I just drive around Detroit until it's late. I drive down Grand River Boulevard, downtown. The buildings got larger as I approached the water in the Renaissance Center. I drove up Woodward Avenue, once a busy street with businesses and shops and people. At that time, abandoned buildings spanned for blocks, boarded windows with quilted patchwork of graffiti art. Through Cass Corridor and hollow storefronts, fiends, dealers, artists prostitutes, students, and me, a liar, thief, gambler, passing through.
I called my best friend. He had done time years ago for what is not my place to say. He said, first time offender, nonviolent crime. I can't see you doing more than a year. A year? I just watched a movie at the mall. I just ate riblets at Applebee's. It's funny the simple luxuries you think of when you think of losing a year or more. He said, I can't see more than a year in a city like Detroit. In Detroit, there's no room in the jails for losing idiots like you. (laughs) Humor always makes me feel better, at least for a little while. It gives me a perspective. But I still had to turn myself in. I had to deal with what I had done. That was a lot of money. I call it work. But now they know the money is gone. I talk to the regional president and I tell him I'll be in the mall to settle things. What he says surprises me. He said, don't do anything stupid, Shannon. It's only money. It's not the end of the world, son. You don't know how much I appreciate him for saying that. He didn't have to say that. I go to work the next day, keep my word. At the bank in the grocery store, in my crumpled up suit, and two officers take me away in handcuffs. This is going to sound bad. I know it is. But thank God Detroit had bigger problems than a grocery store bank embezzling losing idiot like me. I did one day. Five years probation. It's been hard, but I paid the money back. I wish I could say the threat of jail the pain my mother felt, the normalcy of a wife and a baby opened my eyes and changed me forever and everything became happy. I wish I could say that. But that voice is so subtle and convincing. You can't lose. There was an old lady in the meeting and she said addiction is insidious. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to look it up. I looked it up. Insidious. That's a good word. After all that happened, you can imagine I had to get out of the banking profession. It's been hard to get a job. It's been hard getting beyond that infamous box on most employment applications next to the question, have you ever been convicted? I mean, I graduated from Michigan State University. I have my MBA too. Well, honestly, I'm a few classes short of my MBA, but I'm paying the student loans, so I could just say I have it, right? It's still a challenge to find corporate gigs after making a mistake like that. Because of this and other circumstances, I had to move back to my hometown. Okay, follow me here. We turned our living room into a bedroom and turned our dining room into a living room because we never used the dining room anyway. Now when people came in the front door, we have to block them from where they were naturally turned to go into the living room and lead them towards the dining room instead. Eventually we put up a curtain as a barrier. I was sitting on the bed in the living room, which is now our bedroom, when someone knocked at the door. I pulled the curtain closed because Cindy was lying on top of the blanket naked. 
Cindy is beautiful, and she's always naked. It destroys the anticipation of seeing her beautiful body naked, and it's scary because our six-year-old daughter does everything her mom does, and she's getting closer to slumber party age. My landlord was at the door, Alex. I was behind two months, and he told me he would be swinging by after work to make me feel bad about it, or maybe to make sure we weren't ripping copper piping from the walls to smoke crack rock. My landlord is cool. He's about my age. He has his life together, though. He has a family, a real family, the type of family he planned out. My current family came about because of unprotected drunk sex and a religious objection to abortion. No real plan. I did try to plan my first family with my first wife, then my gambling addiction and our incompatibility and innumerable other factors screwed that up. I walked him into his apartment. My man, Alex, honestly, it's like this. I was headed towards the dining room, but he went straight behind the curtain into the living room. No hesitation. Cindy screamed. Ah! Alex came back from behind the curtain red and stayed red while I told him I was looking for work and needed extra time. He was too embarrassed and red to make me feel bad about it. He just agreed and left. I went back in the living room to sit on the bed. Cindy kicked me in the back with her foot. Why didn't you block him from coming in the living room? Shut up. I think you may have just bought us another moth, though. (laughs) Seven months. No rent. The reason I was falling behind is because I was falling into my creative pursuits more than falling into looking for jobs. In 2013, I performed at over 20 events in theaters all across the country, telling stories to audiences, never less than a thousand in attendance. He's that kind of brother. Please put your hands together for Mr. Shannon Casey. I fell in love with standing behind a microphone and receiving cheers from audiences who could relate to my personal story. Being understood is addictive. However, the horrible bosses at the crappy jobs I worked at never fell in love with me asking for days off to attend these events. It resulted in me being fired numerous times. Either go to the Nokia Theater in Los Angeles and share an honest story about gambling addiction that could possibly help someone who listens or do some crappy mindless crap at a crappy place. My decision was clear. And most times I'll find another crappy job after the events. This time I wasn't finding another crappy job so easily. The red had faded from Alex's face after seven months, and I told him we'd get out of his apartment so he could replenish his play money account with new renters. Cindy said, Where are we going to move to, Shannon? I told her. Well... We're always welcome at the birthplace of a comeback. A place where no one will judge us for our failures. You have to realize that when circumstances happen, those circumstances are only raw materials for a better story to tell, a fuller legacy to leave. You don't hear the stories of men and women who have done everything right in their life to wind up in a good career with a house in the suburbs and a three-flat rental in Chicago and two and a half kids and a spouse. Our story has challenges, failure, abuse, addiction, setbacks. In the beginning, middle, the only way it can end is victory. Think about it. I waited for her to think about it. Cindy said, You still didn't say where we were moving. I said, Detroit? Oh, hell no. We didn't immediately have a $1 home to move into in a blighted area of Detroit, so we stayed with my sister until we could save some money for a place. My sister's house is my grandmother's house. My grandmother left my sister the house. My sister decorated as if she was decorating the house for my grandmother's return. My grandmother is dead. My sister is becoming my grandmother. Floral prints, fake plants, 
the color peach, and bumper stickers with Bible scriptures on every wall in the house. When we came in the door, I saw a bumper sticker at the entrance from Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I walked in the living room and hugged my sister and saw a sticker. Psalms 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. I dropped our bags in the extra bedroom and over the bed. Matthew 11.28 Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. Later in that full-size bed in the extra bedroom at my sister and grandma's house, Cindy said, I can't stay at your sister's house, Shannon. I said, we won't be here long. I just say a couple of weeks till I find work. They selling houses for a dollar out here. Trust me. Rent will be a whole lot cheaper than in Chicago. Trust me. How long? I say a few weeks. Give me a few weeks, no longer than a month. I cannot do a month. Only a few weeks then. I just got to find work real quick. Get me in an interview. I kill it. You know me. Just get me face to face. I kill face to face. Oh, shoot. Look at this. I just got an email from Microsoft. They want one of my stories for an advertisement. That kind of stuff pays good. Trust me. Your sister asked me if I washed my hands while I was cooking. I can't stay here, Shannon. Just a few weeks. Seriously. Microsoft. Big money. A few weeks at most. The Microsoft commercial never happened. But about two months later, I got a job in the suburbs. The new job was in the suburb of Livonia, outside of Detroit. I worked in the office park building selling computer training. Microsoft application classes, specialized IT training, and time management classes. Extremely boring crowd. The big boss humbly told us in a meeting that he was a karate sensei and scuba instructor. I don't usually share this outside of its environment, but I instruct students as a karate sensei and scuba expert. In my teaching. Listening to my directions is as important as life and death. I like to think of it this way as a sales manager. If you listen to my instructions, you will be successful. If you don't, you will be unsuccessful. That simple. I often wondered if he even knew that Bruce Lee Aquaman stuff that he claimed. He probably used to get bullied in swim class and created the lie to cope with it. 80% of most stories are lies. I should know. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> My small boss was an evangelical Christian who followed every company policy as if the Apostle Paul had written it himself. I tried leaving early once to get to a storytelling event, and she reminded me. The correct time for departure, according to the employee handbook, is 4.45 p.m. And it's suggested that you work overtime to be successful, like the company's top-selling account executive, Larry, who works till 7 or later most nights. You do want to be successful, right, Shannon? I wanted to say, sure. I want to be just like the top-selling account executive, Larry, who's 200 pounds overweight, has a gambling and a strip club addiction, and who just got out of the hospital for a stress attack. Isn't he going through a divorce? Instead, I went back to my cube for the 15 minutes, cussing her out in my head. She didn't have a sense of humor, so I couldn't use honest snubs and disguise them as jokes with her. She took everything said literal. The earth was formed 6,000 years ago in her brain. I'm certain she had bumper stickers on every wall in her house. After my first month, I got my business cards. They said Shannon Kaysen. Account executive. As you walk through the streets of Detroit. 
Growing up, I wanted to be an executive. Executives seem happy. I see them on TV in the 80s in Armani suits with hard briefcases and BMWs and smiling wives, kids, mistresses. A few of my friends wanted to be drug dealers. Drug dealers didn't seem as happy as executives. I see drug dealers in the neighborhood in Fila jogging suits with gold ropes and BMWs with ground effect kits and smiling ladies. Sometimes I saw the same drug dealers lying on the concrete with bullet holes. I never saw an executive with bullet holes. A few of my friends achieved their goals of Fila suits, gold ropes, bullet holes. Instead, I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. I graduated with a degree in advertising. Everyone had high hopes for me. There's a lot of pressure associated with being the first person expected to be an educated success. I was told all my life, education is the key, the key to better jobs, the key to better neighborhoods, the key to a better life. After a string of crappy jobs after college, I realized this key thing wasn't as sure a thing as expected. I was disappointed and a disappointment. I never became an executive until I had no desire to be an executive. Shannon Case, Count Executive. lasted at that job for about seven months. We had moved to a home in Lincoln Park, Michigan. Three quick turns in the car from my grandma's house. They used to chase me out of Lincoln Park when I was a kid. When I rolled through fast on my BMX, I'd hear, go back to your own neighborhood from the porches. Now it's a mix of families on every block. There's an African hair braiding shop opening up. There's four Mexican restaurants in walking distance from the house. I ordered my favorite takeout. Four steak tacos. I ride my Debo cruiser through the streets slow to the Los Argos market to pick up lunch. I go to the powerhouse gym every inspired morning. I always see a friend I grew up with or act like I remember a guy who gives a nod or a half hug. It would be weird to ask. Maybe he was just being cool. White Castles is my second favorite lunch. Three jalapeno sliders with everything sauce. I listen to the old men sitting in the booth. One old white man and one old black man. Talk about a friend who had just died. He had been shot dead by a burglar. I don't want to be here. Everything feels basic, regular, and normal. It reminds me too much of myself. Sit on the porch on a wooden rocking chair, drinking a beer that was left from my daughter's birthday party. Bought a 24-pack of cheap beers for the dads. Only one dad showed. The kids jumped in the bouncy house that was inflated in the backyard. I burned hot dogs and hamburgers. I'm standing on the porch of this small home, looking across the street at the young man cutting his lawn. He's fat and riding a sitting mower. They have two pickup trucks and a minivan. My daughter is asking me to take her to the arcade. I've been looking for jobs somewhat. Notice I've been writing a lot more. I love Midwest hip-hop production. That started with some Kanye and ended with some Dilla, Detroit hip-hop. But every conversation about Detroit always gets around to the same question. Is it really that bad? The question doesn't bother me. as much anymore but it used to but i figured like we all pawns in whatever list that they run on the most dangerous cities in the united states chicago has its own pr problems too 
But I always say, like when people ask me about Detroit, I'm like, nah, not at all. It's not that bad. Go, visit. Stop living in fear. Detroit is cool. Think about it. How many public radio listeners do you hear about involved in crime in any city? Detroit, Chicago, Oakland, Baltimore. Go, hang out, drink craft beer, good coffee. See for yourself. It's not that bad. Trust me. I'm Shannon Kaysen. After the break, a live story from the stage about fatherhood after a bad breakup that breaks me up. And a trip to the unemployment office takes us through Chicago neighborhoods. Next on Homemade Stories, the struggle is real. You're listening to a Homemade Story special. The struggle is real. I'm Shannon Casey. Okay, so we talked about gambling addiction, almost doing some serious time, unemployment, and Detroit. I also have two beautiful daughters, Madison and Zoe. Madison was my first from my first wife. We won't say my ex-wife's name. Then I had Zoe. I mean, my second wife, Cindy, had Zoe. I didn't have her myself. That's impossible, at least at this moment of scientific discovery. But say in about five years, who knows, you know. (laughs) But I was at the hospital cheering Cindy on. The thing I'm trying to say is I have two daughters by two different women. You get that. It's been a struggle being a relevant part of my first daughter Madison's life. That's even a tough thing for me to say out loud, but it's just being honest. I live in Detroit. Madison lives in New Jersey. And my ex-wife, I won't say her name, despises me the way you despise potholes in the bike lane. I know you ride a bicycle. You do. The next story is about me visiting my little girl. This is a live story told on a small stage in Crystal Lake, Illinois. To all my dads in the struggle, I feel you. Hold your head, sir. Let us welcome, please, a huge welcome to uh, a moth grand slam winner, the without question and not an arguable point best dressed of all of Chicago's storytelling community. And uh, when I asked him for three words that described him, he said, simple, regular, grown up. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) Shannon Kaysen, give him a hand. Thank you. The bathrooms at LaGuardia Airport remind me of the taste of Chicago's porta potties. But I have to drop a deuce before I head to Manhattan. Car service would be $50, a taxi, $30, shuttle, probably $25. So I decided to walk (laughs) to the M60 bus stop at the terminal because I'm in no hurry. I've traveled from Midway to LaGuardia to see my daughter, Madison, who's three years old and lives in Jersey City, New Jersey. The M60 lets me out in Harlem. People aren't tours here. It's loud, it's fast, and overwhelming. It's languages, teenagers, and strollers. Guys yelling something in Spanish. He stuffs a flyer in my hand. It says, we buy gold. I don't look like a tourist. I have no suitcase. My only camera is on my phone. I don't have a hotel room. The subway to Times Square is quiet. I look at the covers of people's books. James Patterson, Lee Child, Nicholas Sparks. I like to write. I imagine how my name would look in four letters on a paperback. Times Square is a nuisance, but it's a good starting landmark. My daughter left when she was three months old. The mediator helped set dates for visitation. 
This weekend, I'll visit her between 9 a.m. and noon, Saturday and Sunday. Today is Friday, early evening. There's this exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art that has naked people. <laughs> They're suspended on a wall. They're hugging skeletons. They got two naked people standing in a tight corridor and museum patrons are lined up to walk through the naked people. Someone says that the artist is present somewhere. They're kids walking through naked people. We're <laughs> I wait till it's two naked women, then I try it. <laughs> All the women need to be waxed. Nightlife in the city is like a jukebox. It's bright and it can play any way I like. There's a club on the Lower East Side that plays good hip-hop, stays open at 4 a.m. I still don't have a hotel room. I buy a bottle of vodka and get a cup from Subway so I can drink while I walk. The club also has... Very expensive drink, so I plan to be drunk beforehand. People are, are pressed up against each other, like a, like a music video, all dancing to a Biggie song. I'm drunk, so mission accomplished. I, I lost my chewing gum in some girl's cleavage as I was yelling in her ear above the music. The people are beautiful. This one girl is in really great shape. I walk Jennifer the Houston Ave, and I can't tell if I'm holding her or she's holding me. I try to hail her a cab, but it's New York, it's 4 a.m., I'm a black man, so I let her get one on her own. <laughs> I kiss her like I care about her, and I, I just now notice her strong arm muscles. She says she's a gym rat and that I should call before I come next time. I, I fiddle in my pockets and give her $20 for the cab ride home. The red stairs at Times Square are partitioned off. I sit on the border at the side. There's this group of girls walking by in mini skirts. They can't be older than 22 or maybe 19, they're dancing and laughing. One of them pulls up her skirt and dances with her ass showing. She notices me, but she doesn't care. She, I look old and invisible. I stare at their thighs and think about kissing Jennifer. Guys sweeping trash in the dark. A teenager smacks a street sign. Two guys are talking outside of the 24-hour McDonald's. The security guard in the McDonald's tells me that I can't rest my head on the table. The coffee tastes so good walking in the morning gray to New Jersey PATH train. Can't wait to see my little girl. Last time I visited, me and my daughter had a great time. We rolled around on the carpet and acted like different animals. I can't remember if my daughter's great-grandmother's buzzer is E13 or E15. I get buzzed in and I talk to Miss Gilliard until my daughter shows up at 920. She's acting shy as if she doesn't know me. I'm, I'm smiling and dying, standing around all these toys I bought at the 24-hour Dwayne Reed. I'm coloring a, a picture of Boots the Monkey, yellow. And my daughter comes over and reminds me that everything is hers, including me. <laughs> We're playing in the carpet and I'm, I'm acting like animals and I start to cry. I try to hold it, but 
all my suitcases unpacked right there on the carpet acting like an alligator. Everyone is looking at me. My daughter says the most beautiful word. She says, uh, Daddy, Daddy, why are you crying, Daddy? That afternoon, I'm walking around Soho, wondering what I'll do till Sunday morning. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm Shannon Kaysen. This is a homemade story special. The struggle is real. It's hard to tell stories that are still happening while you're telling it. You relive the moment while you're speaking the words. Sometimes you can't get the words out. There's a power in sharing experiences. Our experiences aren't just for ourselves. They're to be shared. Not necessarily breaking down on stage like I just did, but share your stories. Someone needs it. Okay, I lived in Chicago for about 10 years. I bought a home in Chicago. I lost a home in Chicago in 2008. I got divorced in Chicago, remarried in Chicago. I've had two beautiful baby girls with two different mothers in Chicago. I've lived and worked on every side of the city. I love Chicago. I hear music everywhere I walk. This is my story. 47 is next. I'm getting off the green line at 47th Street. I could have drove, but sometimes I like to feel the city and think. There are clothing shops, a liquor store, a check cashing, people walking into the station, a few wolves. A shop owner's nephew is standing outside smoking. His name is Philip. I bought Nikes from him before and we talked. One of those two-for deals. The family is Korean, but everyone in the neighborhood calls them Chinese. They stopped correcting people a long time ago. I'm headed to the unemployment office. The guy there is telling me that since it's an extension, it's just like filing a new claim and it could take six to eight weeks to get my first check, but to keep certifying. I want to tell him that rent is due on the first, but I know it won't matter. He's just explaining the process. I hate that I need this assistance. He asked me what I was reading. It may have been a Raymond Carver book or something by Walter Mosley. He asked me if I ever read Eugene Izzy or Jim Thompson. I tell him I know about Thompson, but I have to look up Izzy. He said Izzy committed suicide by hanging himself outside a building downtown wearing a bulletproof vest. I don't know if it's best practice to be bringing up suicide in the unemployment office. But I give him a card and I tell him to check out my writing online. He says he will and he'll make sure my paperwork gets put through. He's a cool dude. I'm kind of hungry so I go to a deli cafe that's down the street called Zaliski and Horvath. I don't know if I'm saying that right but I call it Z&H. Really good breakfast croissants. They cut open the croissant and they put the egg and the breakfast stuff between the croissant. It's delicious. Good coffee, too. I probably shouldn't be buying a $10 breakfast sandwich when McDonald's has a $1 menu. But f*** it, you gotta live, you know? There's a cute lady sitting across from me while I'm demolishing this sandwich. She smiled when I came in and turned and watched as I was having a conversation with one of the owners. I don't know if it was Z or H, but we caught eyes and I'm sitting there and she asked what I'm reading. I'm starting to feel like this book is a cute dog. She says, because you're so enthralled. 
And that's the word she uses, enthralled. I'm like, I'm all up in this shit, huh? I give her my card and I tell her to check out my writing online. She says she will. She was nice. the green line headed home north there's a pregnant lady on the phone she's having a private conversation about relationships but it's loud so everyone can hear it she says i don't know why trina's staying with jason he ain't got no job he ain't got no money that's why i left bj till he get his shit together oh girl guess what happened i'm reading the same paragraph over and over because i want to find out what happened <laughs> I'm off at the Adam stop waiting on the Kimball Brown line to go further north or farther north on the train a lot more people with their heads buried in books and candles the wolves look like sheep so the sheep are less stressed at least till they see me I'm thinking about job interviews Lying about my passion for studying P&L reports and leading by example and what I would do if I got in a disagreement with a superior. All these thoughts are mixed with sex, of course, because I'm me. Damn, the lady getting on the train has a nice ass. And I hate job interviews. And I could probably finish this chapter in my book before I get off. It's a short walk from the Irving Park exit to my apartment. Inside, my new daughter is sleeping in her swing in the living room. I smell bacon. In the kitchen is a beautiful, tall, dark Nefertiti. But instead of that Nefertiti head thing she wears, you know, that big kid in play size headpiece, beautiful, you know, headpiece that she wears. Instead of that, it's just a scarf. This is a woman I met gambling away my former life. Wife, daughter, condo with hardwood and heated garage and the stainless steel trimmings. I read up with a woman more beautiful than I deserve. I'm hugging her, hoping she can't see all my insecurities. I'm holding her, wondering if I can fervently pursue careers that I could care less about. I'm hugging her, hoping that my uncertainty for the future doesn't scare her away. I'm holding her like the side of the pool, on the deep end, to keep from drowning because I'm tired of swimming so hard. And she says, I love you too, babe. Let go. Too tight, Shannon. I gotta go pee. on every street corner in every neighborhood from the south to the north from the west to the lake blues in every city I hear the blues I see it in the faces it's more in the smiles than in the eyes it's beautiful struggle is beautiful like the blues it's a note struggle is music moments are notes I feel like I'm telling songs Yeah, I'm telling songs. I like that. This music is real. So much you This is homemade stories. Have you ever loved So much you
I'm Shannon Kaysen. You want to hear more from me? You ain't sick of me yet. My podcast is called Homemade Stories. You can find episodes. I got about 80 of them. You can find them at wbz.org slash homemade stories. This homemade story special was produced by me, and a lot of the production credit goes to Robert Anderson. Production credit also goes to Justin Bull and Joe DeSoe. Thanks to Sean Alley at Curious City and the rest of the folks at WBEZ. Also, Ray Teresi recorded the audio for the live story you heard. And thanks to Corrine Hayford for her assistance. Homemade Stories is a production of WBEZ in Chicago and me here in Detroit, Shannon Kaysen. Now you know me, right? At least you know some of the stuff I've done in my life. Go to ShannonKaysen.com to learn more. Alright, this was a Homemade story special. Peace. Killers in the country today. I had a dream the other night and I was sitting in my living room. I was off to sleep, so I started dreaming. I dreamed I walked in a place and I saw a real strange, weird object standing up talking to the people. And I found out it was hell. You've been listening to Snap Judgment Presents, a Homemade Stories podcast special by Shannon Kaysen. Subscribe to Shannon's podcast, Homemade Stories, let people know, and keep it locked here. We're going to release another Snap Presents in just a few days that will blow your mind. Extra stories for the season. And if you didn't know, the Snap Live tour continues this February with stops at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. We're filming a big show at BAM. Lights, cameras, action, all that. We're going to hit Atlanta, Dallas, Houston, Austin, Washington, D.C. And I'm pretty sure these are all going to sell out. They feature the Snap Judgment Performer of the Year, Don Reed, the Snap Judgment Comic Performer of the Year, Jen Cober, all new stories, the closer, James Judd, Jamie DeWolf is in the house, and I'm going to promise you, the show is made of fire and magic. Get tickets at snapjudgment.org. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, today, you could argue that not only was it not the news, it wasn't even Snap. That's nonsense. Because this is WNYC.